Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Hurt, Virginia. And Virginia, we're planning to put the hurts on you because we have one of our top executive leaders that we've had a chance to have him be with us on the podcast. We've been so looking forward to him being a part of this. And I wanted to let everyone know, all the listeners know, that we want to do an executive series on how executives and leaders view communication and how communication plays a role in what they do as leader and executive in their company. So we have with us today, uh, John Wright. John is in Atlanta and one of the... John, I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to keep doing this because I have such a high regard for you. One of the premier leaders in Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company. And before that, he stacked up all kinds of honors and awards. And one of our first questions that we wanted to ask every guest was to have them tell us a little bit about their experience and to not be modest. So John... Modesty doesn't work on this show, so we want you to just brag as much as you want. (laughs) This is all about you, John. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I I would say if we're talking about my specific leadership journey, it definitely would have started out as a student athlete. And I I think that's the right term, even though we make make fun of the University of of student athletes. (laughs) We have students. Emphasis on student. Emphasis on students. This stage. But as an athlete and being at Illinois on a team, I I played football. So, you know, there's a lot going on within a football team. Leadership started there. And I was fortunate enough my senior year. And even though, you know, I probably wasn't even in the top quartile of the athletes on the team, I I was a leader on the team and got to be a co-captain on our 1992 team, which was a real honor as I think back over my athletic and leadership journey, that would have been sort of the probably the pinnacle of my experience at the University of Illinois to be elected as a leader. So one of the things that I really started early on distinguishing around leadership and communication is there's a big difference between being a leader versus the leader. And after about 20 years with Northwestern Mutual, I actually became the CEO managing partner of of a local office. And for the first time, I really was the leader. And it was a very difficult transition for me. It was a place that I didn't necessarily just immediately gravitate to or towards. And I can remember both not just communication, but decision-making and a number of things were really a challenge during those early years as a new young executive leader where it didn't feel like, well, I'm, I'm the elected captain or I'm a part of a group that leads, but I'm really in this positional leadership role. So it felt different. But certainly today, if I was listing passions it would be leadership development and communication. There are two things that started back at the University of Illinois. That was a experience in a leader, but again, this gap between being a leader versus the leader was, was a real challenging dynamic for me. So talk to me about the way communication played into that move for you. When you think about yourself as a leader, and you mentioned that you have a communication background. That was what your degree was in. In what ways did you see communication either central or a part of how you led? Given my background and given the fact that communication was the main discipline that I chose to study, 
it's always been something that I've enjoyed working on doing, even going back to being a kid growing up in my family. I can remember one, you know, Father's Day, Grammy Wright. She had me memorize the poem if for my dad. So even that was a form of, okay, let's, here's a poem. And she said, I really want you to memorize this poem. So that wasn't just form of verbal communication, but also a form of memorizing and presenting. So it was one of those things that we experienced as a family very early on being a family of coaches and performers and teachers. That was primarily the vocations that were in my family. Communication was, was a big part of our family. Johnny, the way I would interpret that is that narrative became a very big part of your understanding of what's good communication. When you think of yourself as the leader, when you think about your role as CEO of the company, how would you break down the type of communications you get involved in? What would that look like? Well, for me, and even thinking back to some of the very early communications that I had with the organization, because you're right, I have lots of small group communication, communication that happens at a roundtable, very similar to what I'm sitting at today with groups of three to five to seven. And then, you know, probably once a quarter, I'm delivering some sort of message to the greater good, you know, two to 500 people. And those are, those are very different forms of communication. I think what I decided very early on, and that felt right, and I can remember you and I talking about this as I was preparing for some of the more formal communications in our organization to our organization, was this notion of being real being authentic and and being transparent. And I remember one of the first sort of formal communications I gave to, to our firm was this very personal story talking about difficulty in my own life, challenges that I had been through firsthand. And I can remember asking my predecessor at the time, I'm like, you know, this is what I'm thinking about leading with. He's like, no, 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 I, I would not. <laughs> I think that's too much. And, and again, and I can remember talking to you about like this, this, this feels right. This is something I want to share with this group. I want them to know who I am. And I think this goes back to like we were saying, the, the idea of narrative, the idea of storytelling, but also the idea of being real, being transparent and being authentic. I would say that's a hallmark of who you are. Authenticity, being real is what it's about. And in fact, doing anything that's not that doesn't fit for you. Am I right on that? For sure. And again, when you think about what's good communication, and I think it is being able to find your voice, being able to find the truth in communication for you. And for me, that was just something that came naturally that felt right to embrace from a very early age. And again, not over disclosure just to disclose, mm -hmm. but sharing things that are meaningful to the listeners that you care about that involve transparency involved this idea of being real. I can remember one time after about an hour of being with us saying to me, gosh, now you're, you're so real. And no one had said it to me quite that way. And I think, wow, that, that feels good that I'm a real person, if you will. Ray, you want to jump in here on anything? Well, I was just, I was kind of prepared to ask John a question related to situations of difficulty. John, what do you think is among the most difficult situations you encounter related to communication that you've got to use effective communication to get through? Yeah, I was looking at that question in preparation for this. I think the times where communication has been the hardest for me is where I'm delivering a message and there really is no good news. I'm talking about a subject. Both of these things that I'm going to be talking about, they're bad. There's no great solution here. One is maybe just a little bit better, but there's still, at the end of the day, it's bad news. You know, oftentimes it's great to be able to say, 
hey, I've got bad news and I've got good news. I'm going to start with the bad news and then I'm going to follow it up with some good news. You know, oftentimes as leaders, we're faced with decisions that both the alternatives are, (laughs) they're bad. I remember that was really, really difficult for me, even just being faced with decision points that I was going to have to make and communicate to others that involve conflict were very difficult for me as a young leader. The weightiness of conflict and decisions that might hurt someone's feelings or might be be difficult for someone were definitely hard for me as the new young leader. They've become more palatable over the years, but clearly they were things that could keep me up at night, you know, in my first, you know, three, five years as a new CEO managing partner of our firm. Let's stay with that one, John. I really like that notion that conflict management is always a difficult situation to be in and delivering bad news. And yet what I'm hearing you say is somehow as a leader, you grow into the ability to deal with that, that initially that's something we would love to avoid. And I'm hearing you say now as a leader, you see that as an inevitable part of your role as the leader. I'm going to keep using that phrase since you've introduced it. Yeah. Any, any thoughts on what helped you through that? What What was going on through the growth process that got you to a place where dealing with those difficult situations became a little, if not easier, at least more comfortable to sort out. Yeah, I think part of it was just aging, maturing, go, you know, having a number of these conversations over years. As I think about being a young, new managing partner in my, in my mid-30s, things started feeling really different in my mid-40s just because I'd been around the block a few more times. Uh, and I would say the other thing that I started giving less emotion to the outcomes of difficulty. And, you know, the real, the realization that, hey, this is going to be difficult. There may be a time period where when this news gets delivered that someone may be unhappy with me, someone may be distant for a while, but knowing that at the end of the day, the messaging, the truth, if you will, needed to be shared. And I think the other thing that, again, over time, I've come to you know make peace with is the fact that the truth is worth delivering, even when it has difficulty. And I think the people that I most want to pour my life into are the people that long-term will appreciate the truth. And I can remember back to you know so many of our discoveries, Bob, over the years. And I think about one of those, being able to share the truth, not just in a way that's not hostile or confrontational or mean, but really being able to speak truth in love. And obviously not romantic love, but in a way where he has this care factor attached to it that people really feel that you have their best interests even when you're delivering a difficult message. And it strikes me as I'm listening to you talk, risking that early on, doing that more often, being committed to the truth gave you experiences that demonstrated this was worth it. I can think of a couple people that you had to deliver some very hard messages to and the outcomes proved to be right for them, for you, for everyone. And so you build up this bank of experience that says now that I'm further in my career, I look at those and say, been there, done that. And I know how it can often come out and it's worth making the effort. I think that's a really important facet. The other thing I'm thinking about that, thinking back to our work over the years, you know, Bob, you and I have worked so closely together over the last 17 years since sort of my executive leadership journey started. I also think about the importance of pre-performing, rehearsing, having dialogue about a conversation that's going to happen. And I can remember just many, many times I'll say, Bob, react to this. This is what I'm thinking about sharing. This is the way 
I'm wanting to communicate this message, react to it. What am I missing? And I can remember that beginning to, I mean, just, we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Hey, here's the way I want to deliver this message. What do you think? And we decided just a couple tweaks of, well, I may not include that and I may change this. So I, I think, especially as executive leaders, working with someone, not just on a speech, but when you're going to have dialogue, sort of pre-performing that. Hey, Ray and I always support <laughs> consultants. Hey, consulting well, is a good thing, Facilitation, John. pre-performance, yeah. where would I be without it? I mean, I, you know, lost. Yeah, what I was going to say was not so much that you have to pay for that kind of help, but there's wisdom for anyone who's got to share something they know is going to be dramatic or difficult for others to handle, difficult for them to handle. There's wisdom in seeking out someone to share that with in advance. Talk about it. Make sure that what you're intending to say gets heard and that that doesn't get lost in the process, that the interpretation is an important part of this. And if I'm saying something and people are hearing something else, that will work against me. So I think that idea, John, that you're wise to solicit some listening support and something you're going to say to others. You know, John, one thing I heard uh, you say earlier that I wanted to check with you when you mentioned just getting older or aging, getting some wisdom. And by the way, Ray, John is in no position to talk to us about maturing and aging. He was saying aging really helps. I think we might have a different perspective. No, I'm, I'm, I'm taking John at his words. And that is, I think, John, one of the things that when you spoke of that made sense to me is as you get a bit older, you understand that those decisions you make and those things you have to communicate that are hard for others to hear aren't lasting forever. They have a temporary quality to them. When you're young, you don't think things are temporary. You think if I've got to say something hard, this is going to be a forever problem. And I would think one of the things you probably learned as an exec that's so critical is that I have to make decisions and some of those decisions are going to land hard, but the effect or the outcome isn't indelible. It isn't permanent. It has momentary impact, but eventually it will sort itself out. And so when I was hearing you talk about gaining wisdom, that's what I think wisdom is. It's seeing things in a light where I don't give them gravity they don't have forever. I don't give them impact that is unwarranted. Because I think with the young, everything feels immediate and feels weighty and feels critical. And what you've learned is it's just not true. There are things that will be very powerful, but very few things are uh, indelible. Very few things last forever. Mm-hmm. That's so well said, Ray. I mean, I, and I totally agree. And and again, I'm so thankful to be a leader now. Became a leader at 35. I'm, I'm 53 today. And things don't carry the same weight. The existential loneliness that I felt at 35 as a young leader, I don't feel as lonely today as I felt back then. You know, things did feel so larger than life at times. And today I look back on some of those things like, gosh, that, why was I getting so worked up over that decision? It's like, you know, okay, just lighten up. And, you know, age and just being almost now a couple of decades in, in a leadership role have, have really helped with that. And, you know, as Bob knows well, having been a key partner in growth and facilitator of our organization for the past 17 years, our office, I mean, you think about a sales organization, an organization with right now 150 different entrepreneurs all owning their own businesses, a firm like ours is a breeding ground for conflict. I mean, conflict is everywhere. <laughs> and so just making peace with the fact that this, it's everywhere and it doesn't have to be hostile. It doesn't have to be, you know, the more I can take personalization out of it you know, the better. Now, you know, Ray, as a as an NT, that's hard for an NF. You know, we're, we're, we're idealists, we're romanticists. So I try to, you know, romanticize and relationalize every aspect of life. And 
I wish I sometimes had a little more, a little more assumed rightness. So my NT friends have. <laughs> Put it to you, Ray. I'm glad he <laughs> stuck it to you. Oh, I thought it was a compliment. <laughs> you know, John, one of the things I want to make sure that our listeners heard in your last few minutes of conversation, kind of the importance of having advisors, whatever we call them, coaches, people that we go to to try things out on that we explore with. I know you're one of those that has really strongly promoted having people in your life that really can support you, but also help you think through things. And so maybe you could restate that in terms of your view of the role of executives and their need. No, I have such strong beliefs around that. And, you know, and for me, because of my sort of faith foundation, I put that in a spiritual context that we all, no matter how high the executive leadership role from a president of a country to an owner of a small business, I think we all need a Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. And so Paul being, we all need, to raise point earlier, this wise person in our life, a person who, and I would say, as leadership grows and gets more formalized, I think the more you need to formalize your Paul. And I don't think, by the way, it has to be one person, but we need that person in our life. I think, secondly, we need a Barnabas, a soul brother, a soul sister that isn't impressed with us, that will really tell us the truth in a way that's collegial, in a way that has this kind of brotherhood or sisterhood. And then ultimately, I think we all need to be looking for the relationship where we're the Paul and we're giving back to a Timothy, giving to a younger mentee. And I think the more in that heart of the matter executive you know, time span, the more those can be formalized, I think the better. Um, and I know I wouldn't be where I am today without the relationships that I've had with the key coaches, facilitators, mentors, sponsors that I've had in my life. And many of those the last 20 years, Ray, to your point, as you, as you I guess, gain in success, grow in leadership, you have to pay for it. So, like, you know, I'm paying for a lot of my friends and coaches and leaders today. Uh, you know, it really is. I'm, I'm sort of joking, but but not really. Yeah, I, my, my reaction, John, is they would probably still be your friends, even if you didn't pay for them. You just wouldn't see them as much. That's right. That's right. You know, you brought this up and I can't believe it, but we have run out of time. We want to finish every executive podcast with the question, who are some of your communication heroes? And you just mentioned the fact that we have to have those kinds of people in our life. And you need to feel free not to say the twins, uh, even though that's probably true. Yeah, well, there's the obvious ones immediately that you just think about being a Jesus follower, Jesus, Martin Luther King, Andy Stanley. But one that I'll mention, Bob, that, that you know, just from me talking about them, one of my other sort of foundational heroes, coaches, sponsors in my life, besides you, was Bruce Albert. And one of the things Bruce could do for me is share truth in a moment in a way that many times actually wasn't necessarily loving. Oftentimes it was raw truth, but I could receive it. And he was one of those people that I believe when I believe I am believed. And so oftentimes finding that voice of belief as a leader difficult. And clearly Bruce Albert has been one of my heroes from a communication standpoint. John, this has been terrific. We will probably have to have you back. But of course, that's always contingent <laughs> on whether our audience increases as a result of your podcast. Okay. You know, as much as we love you, it's all about demographics. You know yep. that. I sure know. Of course. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to call a lot of people and tell them to listen. Seriously, John, it was terrific to have it you. Was, it was absolutely wonderful, John, to hear you and uh, see you again. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. 
We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. Thank you.